0: This, this
1: is Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: I don't know where you are in Mississippi, but in North Central Mississippi, it is raining. Big time on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Tuesday. You want to be a part of the show? You can do so on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number. sometimes. More is just better, like double the high-speed data from prepaid by CSpire for both new and current customers for a limited time. Plus, you can get a free Samsung Galaxy A10e when you bring your phone number from another carrier. That means you can get a new smartphone with 12 gigabytes of high-speed data and unlimited talk, text, and basic data for just $40 a month. No contracts and taxes are included, so don't miss out. Shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Fellas, what's up? Borky,
3: how are you today? So I know what my brand has kind of become on this show, and I'm willing to accept what that is. So in honor of, of my brand, can I start with something that bothers me?
2: What is your brand, first of all?
3: Uh, complaining about things that bother me often.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're going to complain well, to start the show? Sure.
3: It, I, I have seen... In response to to Kylan Hill's tweet yesterday, um, I have seen a few people, media around the state, that have used uh, the responses either to the tweet or, or emails they've gotten or, or comments online to use that as a, here's why Mississippi is behind because of these comments right here. And... Some of the responses to his tweet were bad. Some of the texts, obviously, we got yesterday were very bad. Some of the comments that were shown were very bad, and emails that... uh, One that I got, uh, maybe you've gotten one uh, that other people have gotten, are all very, very bad. But that doesn't... That doesn't mean Mississippi is bad. So, Kylan Hill's tweet and the responses to it, in some cases, are very bad. But that does not mean Mississippi is very bad. That means... There are people that are bad, and they are everywhere. I mean, at least we forget that – remember what was said to to Chuba Hubbard or Chuba Hubbard after what he did and the responses that he got? And it's not even just limited to that. I mean, Ohio State had a Leave Urban Meyer Alone rally on their campus. Penn State rioted when Joe Paterno got fired for covering up sexual abuse of children for decades. I I mean – to to point at online comments being bad directed towards a player is not a sign of Mississippi being bad. It's a sign of there are bad people that exist everywhere. If Kylan Hill was in Florida, guess what Florida fans would have done? The same thing. So, yes, we are in a unique case with a unique flag, but Kylan Hill's responses would have happened no matter what uniform he wore or what school he played for. And to say that it's a sign of why Mississippi Stinks is being really disingenuous because we had an athlete who plays his position two weeks ago get the same thing, not
0: in this state. And that bothers okay. me. All right. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not much. Did, was it a mandate that we all had to wear blue shirts today? Is that a blue shirt you're wearing? Yeah, it's white, it's white, white. Blue stripe. Okay. I don't, I don't know what happens here. No, I didn't get a memo. It, uh, I, just, I just happened to pick this one out of the closet. Yeah, sometimes it uh, it just works out that way. So.
2: Borky, I, would, um, I don't know if I'm dovetailing on what you said, but I want to say something out of the gate. I have seen, via social media primarily, I guess some message boards as well, people saying that they are embarrassed to be from Mississippi or embarrassed by my state. Our state. Like there was a billboard or something. Um, I don't like that sentiment. You are welcome to feel that way. But just for the record, I do not feel that way. Not only am I not embarrassed of Mississippi or to be from Mississippi, I am proud of our state. I am proud to call Mississippi home. I am proud that this has been my home for 32 years. Moved to Oxford in North Mississippi when I was eight years old from West Tennessee, about three and a half, four hours north of where I sit right now. And am proud to call Mississippi home. Do we have issues? Sure. Everybody does. And that makes it no different than, like, real life. Because whatever your job is, there's going to be a day where something happens at your place of employment that you don't like. Doesn't mean you're embarrassed to work there. It means you got to work through a situation. If you are married, there is going to be a time somewhere along the way where your spouse or you does something that the other doesn't like. Doesn't mean you're embarrassed to be married to your partner means you've got to work through a difficult time. There's going to be a time where your kids do something that maybe embarrasses you. But that doesn't mean you are embarrassed for your son or daughter to be your child. No, you still love them. And you just get through a difficult time. And that's where I stand with the state of Mississippi right now. I am not, not even a little bit, Embarrassed of Mississippi, and I'm not embarrassed to be from Mississippi. I am proud to be a Mississippian. Proud that this is my home and have no plans to go anywhere else. It's where my family is. It's where I want to raise my children. And we're going through a difficult time right now. So what do we do? Pack our bags and move somewhere else? I'll pass on that. Let's work through a difficult time together. And in terms of the issue on the table right now, we're talking about the state flag. I I don't know that... I realize that some people kind of have their identity wrapped up in a state flag, which kind of appears to be the, the case. But that's okay if you do. There is seemingly some positive momentum toward making a change. You have more and more individuals and groups who are coming out and saying, it's time to change our state flag. Not because we can't host a baseball regional. Not because we can't host the SEC tennis tournament. Not because an outside entity or a person that is not from the state told us we need to No, it's time to make a change to the state flag because it's the right thing to do. The Mississippi Baptist Convention came out with a pretty strong statement today that said, it's time. This is not just a political issue, it's a moral issue. You have had business leaders in the state of Mississippi, including the CEO of Sanderson Farms, Joe Sanderson, come out and say, it's time. There's going to be an economic impact And we could see boycotts from outside states and outside businesses with whom we do business in Mississippi say we're not going to deal with you anymore. The, uh, The CEO of Hancock Whitney Bank, which is a huge bank on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, big supporter of the New Orleans Saints, big supporter of all things Mississippi on the Gulf Coast, said it's time for us to make a change because it's the right thing to do. And it's possible that... No, not it's possible. I think I probably owe an apology for the tone that I've taken a little bit in recent days for how we've discussed this. I have been passionate about it. I am adamant about it. My views haven't changed. But I do want to be aware that dissenting opinions are okay. And... I read a, um, I don't know, as, as our elected officials put statements out, I, I can't decide if they're statements or they are declarations or they're op-eds, you know, wh- whatever. But I read one that was uh, was written by uh, Senator Nicole Boyd. She's the senator that represents um, where I live in the uh, in the state Senate. And it was exceptionally well written. And it really laid out, A compelling case for why we changed the state flag and it wasn't again sports related it was based on morals and ultimately on doing what's right and kind of her theme and what she wrote was let's not and I'm paraphrasing here I'm not using her exact words but Let's not let great get in the way of good. Let's not let perfect get in the way of progress. We may not get this 100% right. We're probably not going to get to a solution that anybody is 100% satisfied with. But if we can continue to move in the right direction, and we can get good, even if it's not great, if we can get good, then we are trending in the right direction. The one caveat in all of this is, as it pertains to the legislature, the clock is ticking. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you on this Tuesday. Porky, you sent me this during the break. Uh, the Mississippi Economic Council has released statements supporting the uh, flag change, and the board of directors all signed it. And, like, you see their actual signatures in, adi- in addition to their typed names with uh, their positions, and it's presidents and CEOs of, and owners of big businesses all across the state of Mississippi, from Corinth to Jackson to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to the Delta to the Pine Belt uh, to the eastern part of the state, the southeastern part of the state, all over. And this is not the takeaway, by the way, from this. It is a it is a remarkable list, and it is a list that is growing um By the hour, there's a link on the uh, on the PDF where you can visit the website msmec.com/slash-its-time, and you can support and sign on the initiative as well. So again, this is not the takeaway whatsoever. You remember we visited with Joe Sanderson when we were at the uh, Sanderson Farms Championship last year. Just had a great visit with him, and you know, a a joy to uh, to talk with somebody that has been wildly successful in business. Uh, growing his particular company, so everybody that has signed this thing—it's first and last names. Uh, in some cases, it's first and last names and Roman numerals at the end of the the names as well. Joe Sanderson signed it. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why that jumped out to me. I was looking at this list of names. And I was like, okay, yeah, I
0: recognize that name, and I read Joe.
2: So Ron
3: Swan Swanson, right there.
0: That's all you need that sometimes a, when, when you've got that kind of swag. Yeah, that, that's a boss
2: move uh, by Absolutely. Mr. Sanderson. So I uh, I like it a lot. Good to uh, be with you this afternoon. we we got some sports stuff to get to. John Cohen, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour this afternoon. Look forward to uh, our conversation with him. Hey, Dad sent me a uh, message yesterday. Can I Can I share the message that you sent with me? Yeah. <laughs> sent to me? Sure. said that John is uh, go- going to join us, but he only wants to talk about the new tennis facility at Mississippi State. <laughs>
0: That's big news.
2: I will, uh, I will lead our conversation with, um, uh, with John on, uh, on that particular topic, and we'll see what kind of reaction we can get from him uh, as well. So look forward to uh, talking with John Cohen coming up uh, a little bit later uh, this afternoon. College football fix. We'll get into the economic impact in the city of Tuscaloosa. Uh, numbers that might have been skewed just a little bit to push a narrative, but uh, big numbers regardless in terms of economic impact on the city of Tuscaloosa if Alabama does not play a football season. The initial report was that it was going to be a $2 billion loss in revenue. Uh, Those numbers have been amended a bit since then. I I think there was um, (laughs) maybe the university of alabama like not the football team but the university as a whole has an annual impact economically on the city of tuscaloosa that is in the neighborhood of two billion dollars uh which is not exactly the same loss but it is a very significant number and we'll uh, get into that story coming up uh, a little bit later um i want to circle back to nascar for a second do we have Gary floating around the office anywhere today? Have you seen him? So I have I've you- got, I can go
3: get him right now. I've got six minutes until I need to do something else on this board if you want me to go find him.
2: uh, Well, I mean, we can just text him and see if he can come and sit down with us later because NASCAR gained some fans yesterday. So they had a 2 o'clock central time start for the Geico 500, which was at Talladega, and the race ended just before 7 o'clock. And it was a it was a good race. It was a tight race. You had a good leaderboard all the way through. And as it got down to the end, you're knocking on primetime's door on an over-the-air network. Everybody's got access to Big Fox. Not Fox News, not Fox Business, not Fox Sports or FS1 or FS2 or any of those things. We're talking about Fox, like ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. And so everybody's got access to that, regardless of, you know, who your tv subscriber is, your provider, not subscriber. And it seems like Twitter drives people to things that are compelling. And so people were like, "Hey, you may want to watch this. 10 laps to go. Snug late." I'm sure Paulie Papps from uh, the Dan Patrick show tweeted that particular, uh, you know, snug late get to Fox. And what a treat the end of that race was. 007 Seven one thousandths of a second separated first place and second place. Ryan Blaney, the winner. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a Mississippian, by the way, finished in second, seven one thousandths of a second behind. And your third place? I don't even know who it was. Gary would know. I don't. I just don't have the He's leader. He's going to come in in here at
3: three thirty-seven.
2: Perfect. Look forward to that. You know how the third-place driver achieved the bronze medal? Came in backwards, didn't he? He was spun out. They were five wide coming across the start-finish line with a wreck just a few hundred yards shy of the finish line, and the third-place driver slid rear-end first across the finish line. What an unbelievable finish. And all of a sudden, people were like, whoa, is this what NASCAR's like all the time? I'm in. Sign me up. I hate I missed it. Yeah. He's uh, he's going to join us coming up, uh, Gary, will, according to Michael Borky, uh, a little bit later, about 10 minutes from right now. Hey, great race. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. But the story with NASCAR yesterday started long before the race. Sorry, it was Eric Amarola. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. I remember the name, I just wasn't exactly sure how to pronounce it, and so I held off on that. So thank you. The scene from before the race yesterday, which happened organically, by the way, uh, Marty Smith last night on uh, on SportsCenter explained to Scott Van Pelt how it all came to be. You've probably seen the image of the 43 car being pushed up pit row by fellow drivers and the remainder of the drivers walking behind, and then kind of spontaneously, all the crew members from all the teams joined this march toward uh, the the start line for the race. And to me, the most powerful moment was, and you may have a, a, a lasting image that's different than this, but the most famous and most accomplished person in NASCAR that is living today goes by the nickname The King, Richard Petty. Richard Petty is now in his 80s. I think he's 84 and for obvious reasons has stayed away from the track because of COVID-19 issues. When the race was delayed on Sunday and the noose issue happened in the 43's garage, Richard Petty said to his people, I'm going to support my driver.
3: And so he showed Richard up Petty
2: 82. 82 years old. So he shows up at Talladega, and he's right there walking with all the other drivers. Uh, apparently it was Jimmy Johnson that uh, kind of initiated the idea, and they had like a big Zoom chat with all the drivers on it, and they all decided that that's kind of what it evolved into. And then you had the crew members add in. But to me, the most powerful image was when the car came to a stop and they were getting ready to all stand together for the national anthem. And you had Bubba Watson getting out of his car. He, he paused and sat on the windowsill of the car with his feet still in the driver's seat. And overcome by emotion, he just kind of put his head on the roof of his car, just to kind of gather himself. Tears, I'm sure, streaming down his face. And then Richard Petty, in black cowboy boots and blue jeans and a white button-up shirt with the sleeves rolled up and a black leather vest and his patented cowboy hat with all the the feathers up on the front of it, he walked over and put his hand on the shoulder of Bubba Watson.
0: Sorry, Bubba Wallace. I've done that about three times today. Oh, don't You're worry. You're not the only one, man. Everybody is doing that. It's all yeah. National media keeps getting it wrong.
2: Yeah, so, uh, so Bubba Wallace,
0: the king puts his hand on his shoulder and
2: just kind of leans down and whispers something in his ear and just stands there with him. I thought, man, what, what a powerful image that is. That's NASCAR old and NASCAR new standing together in unison. And it was cool. That was a great scene setter. And And it doesn't erase what happened on Sunday, but it kind of shows the, the triumph of good over evil. And standing together and being together and just... What a neat moment that was. I don't know if you guys had the same reaction when you saw that or maybe there's something else from the pre-race stuff that stood out to you. It was his reaction when he got out of the car. I mean, the entire moment was
3: incredible, but when you saw what it meant to him, that made it even more special.
2: Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Borky, if I was gonna or excuse me, uh, hey dad, if I was gonna get really sappy, hmm. then I would uh I would tie um Liverpool to this. Isn't it Liverpool that sings you'll never walk alone? Oh yeah, yeah. Pre-game. Yeah sixty five thousand people standing and singing, that's like their stadium team anthem. Yeah. Kind of had that same feeling to it. If I was going to be sappy. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Scary Gary joins us next. We'll talk some NASCAR with our resident aficionado. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. It's Gary Gary. We have anointed him our resident NASCAR aficionado. He uh, he joins us right now to talk about yesterday's GEICO 500, the, uh, the race from Talladega, Super Speedway. What a race that was yesterday, Gary. Oh, it really was. I mean, it was it was typical Talladega. You
1: don't know what's going to happen until it gets to the end, and then it always happens at the end, that they always have some kind of crash close to the end. But, yeah, the the finish was pretty spectacular last night. I mean, the whole day was just uh, – it was really great for Talladega. I mean, what the drivers did, y'all were talking about, was really – was historic you might say because I mean they've. it's hard to get two drivers to agree about one thing but to get everybody to agree about the same thing and all of them to stand there I mean Bubba tweeted out a picture of a selfie that he took of him standing at the car with all the drivers behind him and uh, it was pretty impressive with all the crews and I mean entire the whole field was lined up on Pitt Road supporting him and uh, King Richard came out and gave his support which you know, Richard is basically no doubt the elder of NASCAR. I mean he's, he's still he goes to all the races. You see him at every racetrack every week. I mean, the man gets around to be as old as he is, but he still gets around good. And he will sign anything you put in front of him. He's, he has always signed anything for a fan that's that's kind of what he stood for and that's where the drivers got it from was you've got to give back to the fans because without the fans you're nothing so but it was really good race and like y'all were talking about the finish came down and ricky stenhouse i mean by just a fraction was beat by brian blaney and of course uh the 10 car was hit. I mean there was cars going every which way <laughs> and Amarola slides backwards for third. And like he said, mm-hmm. I'll take it anyway, frontwards, sideways, or backwards. And uh but it was it was an interesting race. I mean, of course they had a red flag all day Sunday and it rained them out and thought it was gonna happen at the start of the race. It got down to end of the first segment and they had a thunderstorm come through and thank God it moved out and they were able to get the track dry and continue on with the race and finish it up. And I told Michael, I said, in some aspects, that hour rain delay pushed the race farther back in the TV time. So when people got home, they got to actually see the end of the race instead of hearing it on to recap for the sports, you know,
2: at six. Yeah, and Gary, I thought, I was mentioning earlier that, you know, uh, you know, people on Twitter were, were talking about it and kind of driving people to television. I honestly believe nascar gained some fans yesterday because you had a bunch of people that had never watched a race before or maybe had only seen one as they were flipping through channels on their way to something else on a sunday afternoon that saw how exciting a finish that was and you know maybe kind of knew a little bit of the the story of what was going on going into it maybe for that reason tuned in and thought heck yeah i'm gonna watch that again well yeah it it well, you, you're right. I mean, there's been a lot of
1: um, a lot of media coverage about uh, everything going on, and Bubba being the only person that's in front of NASCAR. I mean, that's out there as a driver. I mean, there's 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 other uh, blacks in NASCAR that work for teams. I mean, that's that's how it is, and. I mean NASCAR's been working on their diversity plan for the past few years trying to get more women and and minorities into the sport. And it, it is I mean, there's a lot of women that's now working in the in the garage area with the teams and and I mean everybody. You've got Daniel Suarez from Mexico driving. So I mean it's it's kind of it's it's really broadened out the board and of course nascar was always known for them good old boys you know them moonshine runners and rednecks well we've we've kind of gotten a little bit above that now yeah we're still the beer and pretzels crowd but it's not the same old beer and pretzels crowd that you used to have back in the 60s and 70s at the track, so.
2: All right, so as somebody who has watched NASCAR for a long time and and has a a great deal of affection for motorsports in general, NASCAR um, specifically, do you feel like this is moving in the direction that it should be, and are you excited about this new direction for NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, it's,
1: okay, I mean, I'm, I'm not PC anyway or on anything, of course, but I believe it was the only, the only recourse that they really had. Because if you don't go along with, say, yeah, we need change on everything, you're going to be labeled as a xenophobe or a racist or, or something like that. Well, that's the last thing that they want to be labeled as as a racist. I mean, come on now. I mean, they they try to they try to please everybody. I mean, it's just a, it's across the board. It's a it's, huge business. Right. It's, it's a big, huge business. I mean, there's it, millions and millions of dollars into this racing. I mean, you're looking at one of those teams, and, of course, the joke that Felix Sabata said that he used to own uh, the, the whole team, for uh, which Ganassi has half of now, he, he said, How do you become a millionaire in NASCAR? You start out with $10 million, and within three years, you're a millionaire.
2: <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of I mean, goes the uh the opposite direction. Well I, I mean I'm curious. It's, it's, not not a, curious. It's, it's
1: not something that you go get in and you it's not like the stock market where it's gonna go up real high one day and real low the next day. I mean unless you're one of the the winning teams to get on the winners program to really make the big money, you're just kind of one of those runarounds at the back of the field that's trying to make their name and hopefully that they breakthrough and you know get them a win and if they get if if a driver gets one win it puts him in the winner and it 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 basically it helps his pay scale and and the payout one at the, at the end of the day because he is a he's a
2: winner yeah you were talking about richard petty a second ago uh the king was there i, I mentioned bef- in the, the last segment I, I thought that was a pretty powerful image when the the car kind of f- came to a stop and you had bubba getting out of his car and Richard Petty just walked over and put his hand on his shoulder and, and leaned down and kind of whispered something into his ear. Because I don't follow it closely, I mean obviously I know Richard Petty's name, uh, everybody does. What What's his reputation in racing now?
1: Uh, Richard Petty has always been the good guy. I mean, he's he's never, as I know of in all these years, he's never really had a fight or a quarrel or bad words. I mean, when Danica Patrick came in, she, he voiced he voiced that you know that she wasn't NASCAR material because she had not come up through like you might say the NASCAR world where they run a dirt track and many sprints. Sure. She came from IndyCar and was kind of an in a and of course, it it. It panned out, like he said, and eventually that she would never make it. Well, it turned out that she never really did make it because she just didn't have the natural-born talent that some of these guys come in. I mean, these you've got kids out there that's 22 that's been racing for 15 to 18 years since they've been, you know, children they've been racing. So, I mean, if you start a child out at three or four years old in a, you know, a, a go-kart – I mean, by the time he gets to be twenty years old, he's he's turned the wheel a good bit through the years, and of course, that comes with anything. You do something long enough, you get better at it. I mean, same way with stick and ball sports. You you do it for a long time, you get you get more proficient at what you're doing. And racing's a lot like that. It's it's all about being able to take what you got, use it to the maximum ability that you have. In your team and try to get the best out of it. And Here, one last thing, one we'll of the tracks that it it showed yesterday, Bubba got the Bubba worked his way up to the front and ran, I don't know, I half a dozen laps or so out front before yeah. they teamed up on him and passed him. But that's the nature of Talladega, you get two guys hooked pushing and hooked up together, they're going to go faster than a single car. That's just the way it is.
2: Let me ask you this: As we we finish up, almost out of time. Sixty three laps in the lead yesterday for Ryan Blaney out of the hundred ninety one laps in the race. Um, how good a race did he run to uh, to win that yesterday? He ran a good race. He won. Well, if you think back, he he won
1: Talladega last year. I think right. That's correct. Also by seven one thousandths of a second. Yeah. Well, Talladega has been known for some really close battles. I mean, through the years there has been matter of inches that separated some of these races i mean you think after four or five hundred miles they come down and it's uh six inches is what it takes to win i mean it's it's and you think in 500 miles how much stuff can go on and of course they have to stop and get gas and tires and wrecks and everything else that goes on so i mean it's really it's really pretty spectacular when you think about it that there was that many cars coming for the finish, and everybody wants to win. And you saw what was happening; it was five wide, and Lord knows three wide's tight. But when you get four wide, it's really tight. Five wide, there's no way that cars can fit in that space. I mean, and of course yep. they they started, you know, pinballing off each other, and that's just the nature of the beast. They come into the they come into the checkered flag, and it's gonna be rec- winners or wreckers. I mean, it's no no in between. Yep, always appreciate your insight, my friend. Thanks, Gary. Oh yeah, well look, this next weekend we got the big tricky triangle up in
2: Pocono. They got two races up there this next week, so that'll be interesting. Can't can't wait for you to tell us all about it. That's scary, Gary. Talking some NASCAR with all of us on this uh, Tuesday. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. Let's go straight to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. We are joined right now by the Athletics Director at Mississippi State, John Cohen. John, I certainly appreciate uh, some of your time. Hey, Dad told me yesterday when when he set this up that the only thing you were willing to talk about was the new tennis facility. Is that is that accurate?
4: <laughs> That's one of the many things I enjoy talking about. Uh, but yeah, we can talk about that. Sure. Uh,
2: we we might hold that to the end, and if we have a little bit of time, uh, circle back to it. Uh, if if it's all the same to you. Um, I, I think we got to start with what happened yesterday afternoon. It was right before uh, we came to the show, on the show, I guess about 1.30 or so. We, we saw the tweet from, uh, from Kylan Hill, and I, I don't have it in front of me word for word, but paraphrasing said, until the Mississippi flag is changed, I'm done playing for the state of Mississippi. What was your reaction to the tweet from the star running back, arguably the most important player on Mississippi State's football team?
4: Well, I think Kylan is showing a frustration that we all kind of feel um, here at Mississippi State. And I can't speak for everyone around the state of Mississippi, but I, there's definitely a frustration. Um, I understand it completely. Um, we're in full support of Kylan. Uh, he absolutely has the right to uh, express his opinion and and obviously, it's an opinion that's that's held by many, which is uh, we we need a change here in the state of Mississippi, and and uh, you know I I completely understand that.
2: John, there were some some other players that kind of said to him in responses on Twitter that that they support him. Do you anticipate that this is? Um, that this is something that turns into a movement or do you think this is very much an individual decision by kylan
4: well you know i'm i'm not to be honest with you that that's not the part we are focused on right now i think collectively as a department as a university we're focused on the change and we believe it's still possible we we believe that the legislature and the the great people of the state of mississippi are going to make the right decision and and uh, make a change in our flag. So that, that's really our focus right now. Um, I've reached out uh, to many of our student-athletes over the, the social unrest that we have and, and, and gotten their feelings, gotten their thoughts. Um, we're all available to them, and, and we're going to be here for them throughout all of this. Again, this isn't something we check off on a box. This is something uh, that's part of our responsibility to our student-athletes And, uh, you know, I I, again, uh, our our focus right now is on kind of righting a wrong, uh, to be honest with you.
2: I know Dr. Keenum is, uh, and I'm being complimentary when I say this, extremely savvy politically and, and understands the way that it works. And I know he's working with the legislature. Is there anything that you've heard today, yesterday, overnight, that gives you optimism to think that this is moving in the right direction? And, and as I ask that, I, I would point to uh, a release from the Mississippi Economic Council. I didn't count the names, but there must have been 50 or 60 signatures from presidents and CEOs and business leaders all over the state of Mississippi today coming out and saying that they support a flag change.
4: Yeah, and I, 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 I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of our state. Uh, you can feel that our state is wants to put their its arms around change um the question is mechanically you know how does that get done um again i have a lot of faith in in our government i have a lot of faith in the legislature i i I really truly believe they're going to do the right thing if they don't um it's going to cost mississippi state and ole miss and southern miss and and really quite frankly all of our campuses um it's going to cost us Um, and selfishly again I've said this before and I'll say it again I I really don't think it's fair that our student athletes their their coaches um, uh, our staff members could conceivably could possibly have to pay a price for something they had absolutely nothing to do with. That part's disappointing but I I really understand why the NCAA did what they did. I understand why Greg Sankey said what they said. Um, They believe as I do, that it's time for a change.
0: Hey, John, Brian, hey, Dad. Obviously, Mississippi State's been very vocal in wanting change, but so so has Ole Miss and so has Southern Mississippi. Has there been any communication between you, Keith Carter, Jeremy McLean, about how you guys can work together to, to, to find a solution on this?
4: Yeah, in fact, uh, I was on a conference call today with Keith. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked – several times you know many of the times we've talked it's been about the covid situation and about how we're going to handle attendance at football and and things of that nature but yes more recently um we have discussed the, the social unrest we we've discussed uh, the state flag issue uh i think you know obviously i can't speak for for keith um and, but i believe we're in lockstep I, I believe that we believe the same things and uh You know, we uh, really appreciate – I appreciate their partnership in this because uh, we view this as no question the right thing to do.
2: John Cohen, Athletics Director at uh, Mississippi State, uh, on your radio right now. Have you heard from other ADs in the league who are are sympathetic to what you're dealing with? Uh, I know Dr. Keenum told us on Friday that uh, all 14 presidents in the SEC were on the call when Greg Sankey kind of informed them of, of the announcement that was coming um, last Thursday night, I, I guess it was. So have you... Heard anything from from fellow athletics directors?
4: Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I I speak to Greg Byrne a great deal. I, I speak to Scott Strickland seems like almost daily. You know, Scott was raised in this state has a uh, you know tremendous heart for the state, believes in the state of Mississippi, and um yeah, I, I I run several things by those guys. I'm I'm not somebody who believes that John Cohen has all the answers. I'm, uh, I reach out to many of my friends in this around the league and around the country to ask them for advice in several areas and um, you know certainly this has been a topic of discussion and and everybody in this league has been supportive for this cause
2: John, this is putting the cart way way before the horse and and certainly we all I think we're all in lockstep with you and with keith and and with all the other people who have said we want to see the change happen, given that says you can't host a regional based on what the NCAA said. Um, and let's just talk baseball specifically. Is there a scenario where if you played yourself into the, the earning the opportunity to host, that that could happen somewhere else with you still as technically a host, if it were in Hoover and Memphis or, or have you even given any thought
4: to that? Sure, Richard. In fact, we, we put a great deal of thought into that and we're, we're researching what our options are. Um, there are several questions we have to ask, and we, we have already looked into every type of possibility. Why? Because we owe that to our great fans. We owe that to um, you know, our programs that could potentially have a chance to host. So we, we have already started that process and, and, and uh, looked into any eventuality uh, uh, for the future.
2: Do you find yourself sitting here a little helpless right now?
4: Um, you know, I wouldn't say helpless. Um, you know, I, I, I'm reaching out to, to people all over the state of Mississippi uh, to, to try and tell them what's at stake here. And, and what's at stake is much, much more important, in my opinion, than athletics. Uh, it goes way beyond that. Now, I know you guys have spent a ton of time discussing this on your show, but um, but this is a critical juncture in our state's history. I, I really believe that. And I'm a fan of our state. I believe in our state. And that's, you know, I, I truly believe we're going to do the right thing. Um, these things don't often happen as quickly as we want them to, but the, the fact that there is a ton of discussion going on in Jackson, Mississippi right now gives me a great deal, makes me feel better about our state and, and about the people who are governing our state. So I, I, I think change is coming. Um, and uh, I'm very optimistic about that.
2: John, is is the biggest concern right now, beyond the the votes being in place, to make some sort of a change, the, the clock, uh, in so much as the legislature is scheduled to end this session on Friday of this week?
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm not a parliamentarian, I'm not an expert on government, Maybe I should should have paid a little more attention to my mother. She taught, taught government and history in high school. Um, but what I do know is there are things that can be done. There are extensions, in, you know, that can be put in place. And I, even though I don't know all the tricks of the trade, I know that, that things can be done. And, again, I just I, – I have a belief that, that the folks down there uh, are going to do what is right. And, you know, I, I believe that it's uh, – you know, I, I believe that this is what is right for our state, for and, and, and more selfishly, I think it's what's right for our student-athletes, and I believe it's what's right for Mississippi State University and, and quite frankly, all the schools in the, in the state of Mississippi.
2: John, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, I know this is a difficult time. We're hopeful that uh, the change is coming in the, uh, in the positive, and uh, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today.
4: Absolutely, guys. Thank you for what
2: you're doing. That is John Cohen, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on... It's Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate John Cohen joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You can text the show, CSpire text line, 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. If you're ready for a better phone, CSpire is here to help. Get up to $700 off top smartphones online when you trade in a device and add a new line. Plus, find options like free same-day delivery and curbside pickup in select locations. Shop now at cspire.com. Pretty big news that has just come out. A statement from the FBI with regard to NASCAR and what was described as a noose that was hanging in the garage that was being used by Uh, the 43 team, at Talladega over the weekend. I'll read this statement in its entirety. This is from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. On Monday, 15 FBI special agents conducted numerous interviews regarding the situation at Talladega Super Speedway. After a thorough review of the facts and evidence surrounding this event, we have concluded that no federal crime was committed the FBI learned that garage number four, where the noose was found, was assigned to Bubba Wallace last week. The investigation also revealed evidence, including authentic video confirmed by NASCAR, that the noose found in garage number four was in that garage as early as October 2019. Although the noose is now known to have been in garage four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned to garage number four last week. The decision not to pursue federal charges is proper after reviewing all available facts and all applicable federal laws. We offer our thanks to NASCAR, Mr. Wallace, and everyone who cooperated with this investigation. So that is the statement from the FBI. There was not a noose that was placed in the garage Because Bubba Wallace was occupying that garage as the only black NASCAR driver in the field at Talladega this weekend. Borky, you were saying that there are some accounts that maybe it was a pull rope that was used to raise and lower the garage. The FBI statement does not allude to that. They do call it a noose.
3: And if the pictures that are floating around are authentic, that is exactly what it looks like. For whatever that's worth.
2: Yeah, And I do think it's important to remember that uh, the initial reporting said that Bubba Wallace did not actually see it. It was found in the garage. And I guess given all that was going on with NASCAR going into this weekend, you would understand why the reaction is what it is. Doesn't NASCAR have to get some credit here for immediately... Going to the FBI and saying, You help us with this. Let's get the facts and let's get it right?
3: They do. And you're, man, you're seeing already people comparing it to that actor in Chicago. And this is not the same thing. Uh, That guy manufactured a fake story. This, the FBI is confirming, and even the pictures are confirming, that there was this thing hanging in the garage that is identical uh, to what a noose is. Uh, What the reaction should be thank God it wasn't. That, yes, something like that did need to be investigated by federal authorities because that kind of a crime, if it would have been one, should be treated that seriously. But it was not a hoax. It did exist. It just wasn't placed there maliciously. So that should be the reaction, not uh, what you're seeing because, as we talked about at the top of the show, the Internet is a cesspool of bad opinions. But it, it, it wasn't a manufactured thing. It did exist there. And thank God it wasn't placed by somebody with those kind of intentions. NASCAR handled it right. They investigated it. They found that there is not somebody in their bubble that has that kind of intention. It is all good here, I think. I mean, that's my feeling is thank God it wasn't. And also, thank God it wasn't a hoax either that he didn't manufacture this, that it was an authentic reaction from everybody involved, and now we can, the sport can move forward knowing that somebody in their circle isn't like that. It's all good here.
2: NASCAR statement also. The FBI has completed its investigation at Talladega Super Speedway and determined that Bubba Wallace was not the target of a hate crime. The FBI report concludes and photographic evidence confirms that the garage door pull rope fashioned like a noose had been positioned there since as early as last fall. This was obviously well before the 43 team's arrival and garage assignment. We appreciate the FBI's quick and thorough investigation and are thankful to learn that this was not an intentional racist act against Bubba. We remain steadfast in our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all who love racing. That's a good statement from NASCAR. It was not, as some people are immediately going to Twitter going, well, why was there a noose in the garage in the first place? It was a pull rope that was apparently fashioned like a a handle, something that you could grab and pull down. And Carl sends us a picture. If you see the text
3: line, uh, I mean, that's what that looks like.
0: Yeah, If if that's what that is, my first impression is that's a noose. I'm I'm not looking at that and going, that's a rope pull down. Yes, but you can
2: look where the rope is, realize that it's attached to the garage door, and add 2 plus 2 and make it equal 4, as opposed to 2 plus 2 equaling 5. Right. Somebody along the way tied that because it was easier to grab the loop fashioned as a noose in the same way that a noose is tied to pull the garage door down. And You have somebody that was on a crew that said, man, I'm tired of grabbing this rope and feeling rope burn as the rope slides in my hand. Let's make a loop on it so you can hold on to it and pull it down. So that's probably what happened there. And apparently it was has been like that since sometime last fall. I would say this. Um, I don't think that this takes away from that moment of unity that they had yesterday. Nope. It probably doesn't happen if not for this story. But... It still was a powerful moment, and I think that can be good for NASCAR, and hopefully, it can be good for more than just NASCAR. Yeah. And Richard, somebody's it. response on the C Spire text line, so fake news. I mean, I mean it. It was real news. It was a real story. There was an FBI investigation. It just turned out not to be what people initially thought it was.
3: Yeah. And for whatever it's worth to you, uh, Wallace never saw it. He's not the one that reported it. It was somebody on his team that saw it and reported it. It's not something that he manufactured or or created or overreacted to. It was not him that saw it or, or reported it or anything. It did not start with him. Hmm. And we get a text publicity stunt.
2: Eh, It wasn't a publicity stunt.
3: It's a thankfully it's a big misunderstanding, which is it's a great it's a very good thing that it happened that way.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be outrage because outrage is what we do. But. I mean, I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish and say all's well that ends well. I would think that Bubba Wallace sleeps better tonight. I would think that the executives at NASCAR, who were having to deal with what appeared it was going to be an incredibly ugly situation, sleep better tonight, knowing that we don't have some just terrible person on the inside of our sport that is overtly trying to intimidate the only black driver that we've got in the Cup Series. I mean, my my guess is that those people sleep better tonight and that they're thankful that, I mean, ultimately, I mean, other than the fact that we're, I'm using we loosely and collectively here, but, like, the population as a whole loves to have a villain and loves to be able to vilify and blame someone, ultimately this is good that somebody didn't tie a noose and leave it in the garage of Bubba Wallace to intimidate him and to to try and make a point. However hateful a point it would have been. So yeah, this this is good news. News nonetheless. Good, bad, indifferent, however you want to look at it. This uh, this story, or this part of this story, comes to an end. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad. We will be right back. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affairs. The last one to know The last one to show I was the last one You thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise
0: And the
3: fear in his eyes
2: When I took his glass of champagne And I toasted you Said, honey, we may be thrilled But you'll never hear me complain Cause I got friends Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Tweet from uh, Rick Cleveland about this uh, in terms of a lead. All my professional life, I've wondered what it would take for all the universities in Mississippi to agree on any matter under the sun. And now I know it's the state flag of Mississippi. A good point. Uh, A former golf champion in the state of Mississippi, Cameron Champ, who won the Sanderson Farms Championship two years ago, has tested positive for COVID-19. How big a deal is this for the PGA Tour? After about 950 negative tests, there have now been two positives in the span of five days. I guess it depends on where he got it and who he's been in contact
3: with. If he flew on the team plane, that may uh, end up being some kind of of, of an issue. But this is the pre-tournament screening. I mean, this is why they do it. And so you've seen commentary about how this is just a sign of how the PGA Tours plan is going to fail. No, this is the plan working to perfection. This is before practice rounds and before he's around people and and in the locker room, and this is the pre-tournament screening. This is exactly why they do it and they caught it, and now he doesn't have to be around people. If, again, if he spread it to other people, maybe they have an issue, but similarly to what happened with LSU over the weekend, where they now have 30 players in quarantine, the the person they're consulting with on their plan in the articles, when you actually get beyond the fear side of it, the fear porn, if you will, they said, hey, this is what we were prepared for. Not only are we prepared for it, we kind of expected it. It's all good. It's good it's happening now, it can't happen in september, but we're we're good now. this is okay, and the same thing here this is good that it's happening right now, better now than after he's played three rounds and been around a bunch of players and been in the locker room and they're going into a Sunday round and suddenly they may have to guy have to have guys w d It's okay that one guy has tested positive. This is what you should have expected to happen,
2: yeah, I mean. Doesn't it kind of feel like this is what we've been talking about for a month now? Whether it's college football, life in general, in terms of universities and schools as we trend toward the fall, the PGA Tour, soccer, baseball, the NFL, everything. There is an inevitability that exists with regard to positive COVID-19 tests. That's the world in which we are living. You have enough people, somebody's going to test positive. And so it's what's your plan and how do you execute it when that happens? I think, Borky, you make a good point, though, is the thing that's most concerning is how did Cameron Champ travel from Hilton Head, South Carolina to Cromwell, Connecticut? Was it on the Big Bird, one of those two charter planes that they're using to shuttle players from one tour stop to another? Did he take Amtrak? Did he ride on a Greyhound bus? Did he drive his own car? Or did he have a private plane? If he had a private plane... And, and look, just because you travel with somebody on a private plane, or on a big plane for that matter, doesn't necessarily mean you infect them. Right, remember I'm sure b- the precautions I'm sure we they're making about. Yeah, they're they're making everybody wear a mask on the plane. Right, that was, wasn't that one of the precautions. It was
3: mask, it was at 60% capacity, so the players on the plane are spread out, spread out. Everything's disinfected and all that good stuff. Uh, they're they're discouraging any contact and I mean, it's even like boarding on and off the plane is being done differently than what you would expect flying commercial just to avoid them coming into contact with each other.
2: Um, Nick Watney, who tested positive last week, traveled on a private plane with Sergio Garcia to Hilton Head last week. Read that story last night. There was some concern as to whether or not Sergio was going to test positive. He did not. Nick Watney did. And the story that's come along with that is he wears what's called a a whoop band. It's... uh, you know, it looks kind of like a, an Apple Watch or a, a fitness tracker or a Fitbit. It's called a WHOOP band, a WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, and it measures heart rate and breathing rate and all those things. And he noticed in the monitoring of that band that his breathing rate was increased overnight while he was sleeping. Didn't feel bad, didn't have any symptoms, but because of that abnormality or irregularity in the data from his... Yeah, his fitness band that he was wearing. He went and got tested again, and it turned out to be positive. And so Sergio had to be tested as well, and had to he said it was pretty nervous four and a half hours waiting for the results. Um, but the results in the the event of Sergio Garcia turned out to be negative. And so, I mean, there's a scenario where Cameron Champ could have flown on the charter, if that indeed is how he traveled, and not infected anybody. Should we assume I, – I, I, I don't know if we should assume this or not. Should we assume that he was asymptomatic and this was just the pre-tournament testing upon arrival? I have
3: not seen any mention of him having symptoms, but it everything is pointing to this was the pre-tournament screening. That's when they caught this. Okay. And, I mean, you, you have it in the NBA as well. And, of course, it make, makes headlines. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be a headline, but uh, uh, the Joker – Niko Jokic was uh, at the party that um, – oh, what's the tennis player's name that he threw? Novak Djokovic. A lot of vitches in here. Um, yeah. He was at a party that he threw, and he got coronavirus. And now he's got a delay coming back to America to play, but he got it presumably at one of those parties, and he hasn't shown symptoms. But So now you have it in the NBA, and the response from the league has been exactly what we're saying. They're thinking about it rationally. He's not going to be the only one. (laughs) Not even close. I mean, they're screening guys today, uh, the ones that are here domestically, and so you're going to get a lot more than just the Joker on uh, positive tests. And the league's like, hey, this is fine. He'll stay in Serbia for another seven days, and then he's going to fly to Denver, and they're going to go to Orlando, and they're going to keep playing because he's a healthy basketball player who's lost a ton of weight during quarantine, by the way. He looks incredible. Um, And he's going to play because this is what we expected to happen. It's all good here.
0: Anything, Hayden? I mean, it's just, it feels like it's more of the same, but it's going back a few weeks or or when the, you know, when college teams started coming back and everybody started making preparations for the world to start trying to make its move back to normal. We knew these kind of things were going to happen. You know, they're going to be positive tests. People are going to have to sit out. It's just a matter of containing it as best you can. You know, you don't want to have. You know, one golfer getting it, okay, not a big deal. We don't want to see more of the what happened at LSU with 30 guys getting it all at once. But, I mean, it seems like a very measured response by the PGA. Seems like everything's going to be okay. They'll, they'll, you know, the guy's going to have to miss a couple of weeks, but this is what it is. Yeah, and,
2: I mean, Justin Thomas was quoted last week as saying that Hilton Head was a zoo. He wasn't. He, he was talking about the people and crowds at restaurants and beaches and whatnot. And there were some people who received what he said wrong. And I, I don't think his, I, I think he kind of, in a, in a backhanded way, was trying to make a compliment to how passionate those golf fans were there in South Carolina.
3: You're having a hard time keeping people away from beaches. I mean, when the state, when they decided to reopen, I mean, you've been cooped up in your house. It's 85 degrees
2: in summertime. Of course you are.
3: So, and I I didn't say anything because what's the point, but I thought about just quoting that and saying, what did you expect? Do you expect people not to flock to Hilton Head Island when it's beautiful and the state's reopened after three months of shutdown? Uh, I don't
2: know what you're expecting, man. I was at the golf course this morning for a little while and uh, watched the guy drive up, and it, it was just its kind of funny to me how, and we talked some about this yesterday, how at a local level, most people are just kind of living their lives. They're taking some precautions. They're being careful. And then at a national level or from a media standpoint, it feels like the story you get is very different. This is a guy that I'm going to guess was in his 70s Rolls up, Mercedes convertible, top back, ready to play golf, and he's got about an 8-inch stogie hanging out of his mouth, and he never moves the entire time. And it was—it it doesn't really have anything to do with coronavirus. It was just, and that guy's not worried about this stuff. He's just doing his deal. And it feels like that's kind of how most people are approaching it. I don't know if that's the right way or not, but... How a lot of people are are looking and living right now. I mean, on, on the uh, the range of things that actually matter, this doesn't even register. But a little info for you, perhaps. You got the news yesterday that Eli Manning's number was being retired. Jersey was being retired at Ole Miss. There are two players that at Ole Miss were currently wearing the number 10. On the offensive side of the ball, John Rice Plumley. On the defensive side, Jacquez Jones. Jacquez Jones uh, tweeted today, new number, same mission. He's now wearing number 32. <coughs> so, I guess. Yes, maybe we're going to see a new number for John Rice Plumley as well. Does that seemed like a reasonable assumption. Seems Fe- like feels
0: feels reasonable. Yeah, might be where yeah. that's headed.
3: Did have a buddy text me yesterday and said I'm cool with Eli getting his number retired, but they better not change the damn speed limit.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Let's <laughs> just go to the. Uh, the official roster and Jacques Jones is thirty two. John Rice Plumley is still listed as number ten. and I have a very uh, a source close to the situation that just texted me that JJ Jacques Jones had already decided to change. So that was of his own volition and that John Rice Plumley if he chooses to can stick with that number through the remainder of his career.
0: Okay, but then but then no more number 10?
2: I'm assuming based on what was sent to me that John Rice Plumley will be the last player to wear number 10 as it is retired.
0: Well, there you go. So, uh
3: Apropos of nothing, this just came across my feed, and I think it, it's relevant to what we've been talking about the last couple of days. Uh, West Virginia has placed their defensive coordinator on administrative leave because one of their players came out with allegations against, uh, against him for uh, racial and, and otherwise mistreatment. Mm. Vic Caning That's, is his name. Vic, the player Vic is Kerry Martin Jr.
2: Yeah.
0: That guy's been around coaching forever. Yeah,
2: where all has he been? I feel like that
0: name kind of rings a bell. Well, his brother, Les, was the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State under Mullen for a few years. Okay. Um, He's coached at a ton of different places.
3: He was the head coach at Wyoming in early 2000. He was defensive coordinator at Troy and Clemson for three years before Dabo got there. Uh, Was the associate head coach and defensive coordinator at Kansas State. Was the D.C. at Illinois was an interim head coach at Illinois in 2011, uh, was the associate head coach at North Carolina, went back to Troy's, the D.C., and then followed uh, his head coach from Troy to West Virginia to be the defensive coordinator. He is 6-29 and 29 as a head coach.
2: Three years at Wyoming, went 1-10, 2-9, 2-10, and ten, two and, nine, two and, ten, and then uh, won his only game as the interim head coach at Illinois. one know? So uh, but, six and twenty nine, and prior to today, in which he was relieved from his duties, Mike Loxley was his hero. That's really didn't Mike Loxley
0: go like three and thirty as oh. a head coach and still got I the head coaching being, job at I was like, what a <laughs> random thing.
3: So we've been talking about though. I mean, we've had a bunch of people text in and say, "Well, Kylan Hill signed with Mississippi State under the flag. Why the change now?" Well. I don't know if you've noticed, there is some kind of of movement going on right now, especially uh, with the younger generation, especially younger African-Americans, and especially football players. They have, and they feel like they have more power than they ever have before, so things that maybe bothered them in the past that they suppressed and pushed forward, they're now more comfortable speaking out about. We've seen it in, I mean, what is this, six places now at least? Florida State? They're changing the name of their football stadium now. Because or they're at
2: least discussing
3: it, they're working on it. Because players spoke out, so Florida State, Iowa got a coach fired, West Virginia potentially getting a coach fired, serious situation at Oklahoma State. You've got Ole Miss players that are trying to get a statue removed from the city of Oxford. You've got Kylan Hill saying that he's not playing in Mississippi anymore without the flag. It is not like we've said; it's not stopping here. They're just they're they're realizing more and more that their voice actually carries some kind of weight. And these things are going to continue happening.
0: You're allowed to have a breaking point. You know, I mean, if I came on here, Richard, and called you a jerk every day, you might laugh it off the first day or two, but eventually you're going to tell me to stop or there's going to be some consequences. Well, it's the same thing with Kylan Hill. He reached his breaking point. And he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to, to, you know, have a, a moment of finality. And that's what he's doing now.
2: I wonder if there's a breaking point in the other direction as well. And people have talked about Slippery Slope and Doesn't it appear what's to going be. to be next. But but, but are we going to get to one? Are we going to get to a point where we go, okay, there, there's a lot of progress has been made and ideas have been changed, ideals have been changed. Now it's all good work. I'll skip back to the games. I I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that, but I do think it's I think it's a reasonable question. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Five o'clock. 506 actually on this Tuesday afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borch, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line wide open to you 601 879 4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that, that is actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, period. Unlimited talk and text with 10 gigabytes of high-speed data. 45 bucks per line with auto pay and paperless billing. Without auto pay, only $50. So how's that for fine print? No bull. That's the real deal. Switch today at cspire.com slash real deal. 601-879-4395 is the number for the C Spire text line. We are glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Check out the entire lineup of Ford cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, all that they've got to offer. You can test drive one. Hey, you want to get behind the wheel of the F-150? Four plus decades, 43 years to be exact. The F-150 has been the best-selling truck in America, and they've got no plans to slow down anytime soon. I drive an F-150. If you've not been behind the wheel of one, take a test drive today at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Ah, uh, so some reporting and then some follow-up reporting. T-D- Alabama-G. Is that right? Is that the website? TDA is what they call Alabama. Touchdown Alabama. What's the G at the end for?
3: I don't know, but that is...
2: Gump. They TD. tend to ask really. Oh, T- Sorry, I was having reading conference. TDAlabamamag.com.
3: Yeah, they usually ask like pretty hysterical better, okay. questions
2: at uh, at media days. Oh, that they do. Yeah, there you go. Patrick Dowd wrote the story. No Alabama football season could result in a two billion with a B, as in boy, dollar loss for Tuscaloosa according to Mayor Walt Maddox. says with roughly two months to go until the start of the 2020 football season, there are still many questions surrounding what the season will actually look like or even if it will happen at all. latter is one scenario no fan across the country wants bestowed upon them. In terms of Tuscaloosa, a year without Alabama football would be financially catastrophic for the Druid City. According to Mayor Walt Maddox, a season with no football would lead to a $2 billion loss in revenue. Here's the quote. It would be economically catastrophic for Tuscaloosa if there is no football season, even a mitigated football season with restricted attendance and number of ball games would have dire economic consequences. So I don't know where the two billion came from. I think I read somewhere that the university as a whole contributes or accounts for roughly two billion dollars of economic impact locally. Maybe it's in the entire state. Um, But subsequent reporting from the folks at AL.com, which to their credit, Borky, tend to ask questions that are a little bit different than tdalabamamag.com. Slightly, yeah. uh, Report that it's more like a $200 million or $175 million economic impact. Still, it's a really big number. I mean, there's no question about that.
3: Yeah, what did they say, $25
2: million a game, give or take? Yeah, I think that's right.
3: That's an insane number. And it's different here because there aren't 100,000 people in the stadium here and they're not competing for national championships here. But what does, say, $17 million in one day do for Oxford and Starkville?
2: A lot. Ask that question one more time.
3: What does, give or take, $17 million in a day do for Oxford and Starkville?
2: A lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what I, th- I said.
2: Yeah, I know. that I was, was kind of being funny. Uh-huh. Michael Casagrande at AL.com follows up. He says, the difference between Duke $2 billion and $200 million is, well, substantial. First number is exactly 10 times bigger than the second one. It's also enough to go viral, as Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox learned Tuesday afternoon. With it, he wanted to set the record straight about an incorrect dollar figure attached to Alabama football's impact on the local economy. As it turns out, it's in the neighborhood of $200 million. And that's significant considering the city's total revenue was $156 million in 2019. It's just not billion-dollar crazy, as some viral tweets and stories might make it seem. I don't know exactly what the number is when you talk about Starkville and Oxford. I don't know what the number is when you talk about Hattiesburg. But I do know that it's significant.
0: It's probably can, fair to to do the math on that. I mean, a hundred thousand people at the game in in Tuscaloosa, sixty thousand people at the game in Star Vlogs. We're just you know do the math and take forty percent off, and yeah. probably pretty close.
2: So, so fair enough. I mean, even if you want to call it fifty percent, yeah, hundred million dollar impact to the yeah. local economy. That's not even the state economy. That's the local
0: economy, right? Yeah, and there and, definitely is. Here's here,
2: here's what I'll tell you, and I know this because of our family situation in so much as my wife is a business owner you've heard me say that before she's got a women's clothing store on the square Uh, football season is kind of a big deal I have lots of friends that own restaurants in Oxford and the surrounding communities as well Oxford, Taylor football season is kind of a big deal other Business owners within the city have a good friend that owns mo- uh, multiple hotels. Football season, kind of a big deal. Have friends that own gas stations. Guess what? Home football weekends, they sell more gas. They sell more beer. They sell more nabs. They sell more Coca-Colas and water. They probably sell more jewel packs. What? Whatever it is, the little... Vape cigarettes. I mean, that's stuff that they sell at convenience stores. (laughs) Oh, you're not wrong. They sell more racks of ribs. They sell, you know, everything. It's not even just there either.
3: I mean, there's a a restaurant nearby my house. You can go get some oysters. It's a it's an oysters and beer place, right? And it opened uh, a couple of years ago. But if you go on just a regular Saturday, say in April, Saturday afternoon, one o'clock, there's I mean, there's people there, but not really. Um, Saturday in mid September, place is packed. Because everybody's out watching the football game, even if they're not there. This one, the place that we go watch the Saints games on Sundays, this place I'm talking about, um, packed for Saints games, but even more so when Ole Miss and Mississippi State are on. But in April, nobody's there.
0: Yeah, and you talk about gas stations. It's not just the ones in Starkville, Oxford in the area. You know, if you live in Jackson, you're coming to the game. You get gas before you go. In you know, it's it's you you might make a stop along the way. It's it is a statewide impact. What happens in Starkville, Oxford, and Hattiesburg during the fall? What What's the
2: intersection on Highway 82? If you're leaving Starkville, you get back on 82, and you're heading toward Eupora? Is that Mathiston? Yeah, or like the big, the big kind of four lane their stop sign crosses yeah. over, and there's that gas station on the corner, right? I feel confident in saying they sell more stuff. On home football weekends than they yeah. do on non home football weekends. Um, yeah, you know, look, we're kind of beating a dead horse here, but look, I mean, it, there's no local business industry. And I won't say no. There are very few local business entities that are not affected positively by home football games. How about the real estate market? go a season without football or only a few people are coming. They're not going to sell as many condos. Yeah. Or second homes. Or first homes for people who decide to move to the area because they dig the vibe of a college town during football season. It's a big deal. And that's why you are going to see conferences move heaven and earth to play football with people in the stands. It's complicated by COVID-19, right? Morky, I kind of hesitated there because I want to see the context. But there's some pretty disturbing quotes that come directly from Dr. Thomas Dobbs, who is the state's chief medical guy. He's the head doctor at Mississippi State Department of Health. Sorry, the Mississippi... State Department of Health. I think I left a syllable out. That's all right. Um, and he says there's an in- inevitability that it's going to get worse. Again, I don't want to read the all, all of that without seeing the context from the interview and what made him say that. It was good. Holy <laughs> well, Keep talking about trends. I mean, for, for several weeks, we've said feels like trending in the right direction. The last couple of weeks... It feels like it's going the other way. But you're just going to have to live with it. Can't shut everything down. Can't keep doing that. Can't go back and do that again. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix. I said- Mississippi with you on this Tuesday. It was pouring down rain earlier, now the sun's out. That's how it works in the summer in the Magnolia State. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Let's talk a little baseball. Looks like we're going to play, doesn't it? Yeah,
3: uh, they're going to play even though (laughs) the next layer to this. So they finally have some kind of a deal I guess you can call it that, in place. They know they're going to start spring training on July 1st and play their first game on the 24th, but all the spring training sites, not all of them, a lot of spring training sites have been shut down because of coronavirus outbreaks.
2: So, did you see the news that the Yankees and the Mets were going to come back to New York for their spring training? I
3: saw that. That's pretty cool. I guess they can't do that otherwise because it's kind of cold up there in February. So, that's a, a nice little
2: touch. Well, and you don't have to have the same scale of a facility because you don't have all your minor leaguers coming in. I mean, you're going to bring in like 40 or 50 ball players and get ready for a team and go. Get ready for a team, get ready for a season and go. Is 60 games in
3: 66 days, is that uh, asking too much or is that okay?
2: That's about right. I mean, they get about three days off a month, three to five a month during a regular season.
3: Be a big block of baseball, won't it?
2: Yeah. A lot easier to find something to watch on television at night. What's the next layer to this?
3: I've seen people allude to the fact that there are going to be players that will choose not to play. Do you believe that will be in some major scale? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, if they choose to do that, that means they sacrifice all of their salary this year. So that never seemed plausible to me to begin with, but is, is that real? Like, are you going to see that happen with the very small amount of NBA players you've seen do the same thing?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think the players realize, you know, Trevor Bauer's been kind of out there a little bit. In terms of some of his opinions. But at the same time, Trevor Bauer said some pretty important things. He said, Man, our sport's broken. Broken in both directions owner side, player side. And I thought that was kind of fascinating from him, considering some of the things that he's had to say and how critical he's been during this process. By the way, I just pulled up a Yankees schedule. So for the month of May 2020, they would have had one, two, three off days. Okay. So they would have been off on Monday the 4th, Thursday the 7th, and Monday the 18th. Everything else was game every day. So three days off in a month is about right. 60 games in 66 days. I'll play just slightly over two months and have three off days a month. That's why baseball is such a grind. You start looking at the schedule like that, and you're like, "Holy cow!" They're 31 days in the month of May. They had three days off, and one of those days was coming off. Uh, two of the two of the three days off during the month
0: came after road trips. That's nothing. Like Think about it. Think about it if we had had regular season uh, college baseball. We wouldn't have taken a day off from, you know, March through June. Yeah. I work harder than those guys. We all do. Sure. Maybe. And uh, get paid the same. I would have to say, you know, pretty typical of, of this country. Like, and we don't pay Can the I get league workers. minimum? Would that be take okay? Can I I'm, take prorated take league minimum? Yeah. Make it happen.
2: All right. So, what are the. Uh, and it, this thing has not officially been signed.
3: No, they've got some health and safety parameters to come to, but apparently the Players Association informed the rest of the players that, hey, this is happening. So, they must feel pretty confident about coming to an agreement on those
2: uh, safety protocols or whatever and uh, pushing forward. Are you excited? By the way, 26 minutes ago, Jeff Passan, MLB Players Association, has agreed to report to training camps by July 1st and play a 60-game season. Deal is not finalized. One last health and safety hurdle to get over from Major League Baseball will be back a week from tomorrow. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either.
3: To answer your question, though, honestly, no. Uh, I'm not. I I probably would have been, but considering what's – Going to happen next. One, I'm completely turned off by the negotiations, even though they're mostly the owner's fault. I just, I'm turned off by the fact that it happened so publicly, that it took so long, that they're the only sport that couldn't come to an agreement. That turns me off. I, I'm, that's, that's absurd that it took this long and they're the only ones. There's a reason they're the only ones. And I don't want to hear anything about a strong union. Uh, it was a failure that it had to come to this point. But why would I get invested in the sport that is doing this by default and then is basically letting you know that they're going to have another one of these wage disputes? Why would I want to get involved in care and try to appreciate and like baseball when next year the same conversation is going to happen? Well, you know, they're going to have a holdout and they may not play and they're fighting over dollars. Forget that. I'm not going to get invested.
0: I'll watch.
2: I absolutely will. I didn't like this; it was off-putting. I wish that we were a week and a half away from the start of the baseball season, which is what at one point remember we were talking about uh, the possibility of them beginning around the Fourth of July weekend, and how cool yep. that would have been. So I, I wish we were a week and a half away from it. But we're going to get sixty games in two months and a week or slightly less starting July 24th, 25th, 26th that weekend. So you'll get the last week of July, all of August, all of September and then we'll go into the playoffs. And assuming that teams take it seriously right, then the stakes ought to be pretty high. You can't have one of those deals where you stumble out of the gates and you go three and twelve in your first fifteen games and expect to be a playoff team. Might be an obvious question,
3: but I mean, do you expect quality of play to go up? I mean no. you you don't think there'd be an increased sense of urgency to give maximum effort because the season has been reduced by a hundred games?
0: I think the players are angry and they they there might be a little bit, you know, less seriousness about it.
2: I think we just got baseball. I think it's going to look like for 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 3 weeks, 4 weeks. So for the for the first you play 4 weeks and you're going to have played about 25 games. And you'll be almost to the halfway point of the season. And then it's going to feel like pennant chases for the next five weeks. And those are fun.
3: See, that's why I asked. I, I mean, maybe it it won't look any different, but at least there will be some – there will be stakes, right? Some kind of sense of urgency that makes the games feel like they're more important. I mean, the, the difference between you guys and me is you both have teams and you, you like the sport itself. I am just very casual, and so – watching a baseball game on a, in a regular year in June or July just bores the crap out of me. I mean, there's no sense of urgency. It doesn't matter if they win or lose. They're not chasing anything. They're so far away from the games actually mattering, I can't get into it because I'm I'm a casual fan, and it's a bit hypocritical because I'll watch the NBA in November. However, um, maybe I'm contradicting myself because if there are stakes and it's August and they're playing for something real, maybe I actually will watch this time.
2: Uh, starting pitchers. I mean, if you're thinking five-man rotation, you're looking at 12 starts.
0: <laughs> Cy Young Award winners going five and two.
2: Bob Gibson's got the all-time ERA record at what one one two? I think it is.
0: We can't. We can't be counting that. Okay.
2: So no records.
0: Who Just, do we I have mean, on?
2: Stats that can go into career statistical category. It was Ben Ingram was talking
0: about that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, You can't, you can't I, I will that. say,
2: if somebody sets the home run record this year, I'll count it. Like a yeah. single-season home
0: run record. Somebody gets 73 in 60 games, yeah, I'll. I'll they're good. Over want under them to a, take a heck of a run, wouldn't I want them to take a, a drug test, but other than that. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. I don't need to see a, any test results. We
2: got enough testing going on. We can we can just set those tests aside. All right. You see that the
3: NBA's announced without announcing that they're going to let those kind
2: of tests go. And let their guys smoke weed in the bubble. They're not going to stop them. we we'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon. How about this story? From 3downnation.com. Borky, I love your headline. Thanks to the Rona shutting down football north of the U.S. border, Ole Miss receives a much-needed boost on the defensive line. Tavius Robinson. Story says, Freakishly athletic Canadian defensive lineman Tavius Robinson is committed to a Power 5 conference school in the NCAA. Twenty-one-year-old Robinson has signed his letter of intent to play for the University of Mississippi. He is six feet, eight inches, two hundred and fifty pounds, with seven foot with a seven-foot wingspan. Runs a 4'640 and has a 35-inch vertical leap. Basketball player or a football player? He's a football player. Story goes on to say it's almost an in- unbelievable series of events which led Robinson joining Ole Miss after the U-Sports season was canceled due to COVID-19, the Gulf, Ontario native decided to take it upon himself and send his highlight film to NCAA coaches. He used phone numbers, emails, and even Twitter to make contact by any means possible. Uh, A quote from Robinson, when I found out U-Sports was canceled, I was devastated. It was going to hurt my development, everything I do in life, what I drink, what I eat, my whole life is based around football. I had a few people tell me throughout my years that I could have played down south. I sent out my tape to schools, and from there I had coaches finding out about me, and I had more opportunities and offers. First major breakthrough was when Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Madison reached out to Robinson. Buckeyes didn't have any scholarships left to offer, otherwise he could have ended up wearing scarlet and gray. Video coach liked what he saw on video, vowed to help Robinson to the fullest by calling coaching colleagues. San Diego State offered me, Southern Miss, Nebraska, Washington State, Michigan, and eventually Ole Miss came along. Lots of coaches said I had potential, could make an impact down there. I'm a competitor, so I'm going with the mindset that I compete down there. It's reality now. Keith Carter called University of Guelph Director of Athletics Scott McRoberts to ensure all the proper rules and stipulations had been followed. For NCAA purposes, it's treated just the same as if Robinson had played at a junior college in the United States which means he is eligible to play immediately. So a Canadian defensive lineman could very well end up in the mix for playing time.
3: Thanks to the coronavirus, I guess. Um, They needed bodies there for sure. I I mean, (laughs) I had somebody text me this morning and ask just, well, what kind of a player is he? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you can watch his highlight tapes, but it's Canadian football. You can... uh, In 30 seconds, you know the competition level is slightly different than SEC football. I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment between the two. But he has a big frame, and he's seriously athletic compared to the guys in that league. But I have no idea what kind of pickup he is. I mean, even if he's just a body, that's something that they needed with how thin they've gotten on the defensive line. So, I mean, putting a set of shoulder pads on me would have helped in some degree just to have an extra body there.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't go crazy.
3: Somebody offensive lineman may trip over after they knock me down.
0: Yeah. You know. well, okay. There you go.
2: Yeah, and with the it's departure blow up of – pile. Of... That's all you need to do. Right, you had uh, Charles Wiley. Chuck Wiley uh, entered the transfer portal. Get that news, what, a week or so ago?
3: Yeah, haven't seen anywhere about a destination yet. I don't know if it's possible maybe he comes back if he can't find a, an adequate one. But haven't seen a destination there. Uh, I mean, they were going to pick up somebody on the defensive line – uh, but he's off to Florida State, and, and so now uh, they went to Canada.
2: Hmm. Novak Djokovic, or no vax? Yeah, I was about Djokovic, to say, read what prefer. I wrote. So he was the one that was uh, like, I'm not taking a vaccine.
3: Yeah, he was Mr. Anti-Vaxxer <laughs> because he didn't trust it and – uh Uh, would not take one and would consider retiring from tennis if they forced him to take one.
2: Yeah, announced yesterday he and his wife have COVID-19 after playing in a series of exhibition matches that he organized in Serbia and Croatia with zero social distancing amid the coronavirus pandemic. Did you see the videos circling around of these parties? No.
3: It's a bunch of guys on stage. He's one of them. They have their shirts off, and they're just, like, dancing to some techno music just, like, all next to each other. It was... I'll send you a video if you want to see it. It's bizarre, but like you're thinking they had to do this charity tournament to raise money for coronavirus. They decide to throw a party, and everybody is like throwing down right next to each other it, the dumbest
2: thing you could ever see. So Djokovic has been in the news frequently related to COVID 19. In April, he was criticized for saying he would not want to take a vaccine for the virus in order to be able to compete, even if it was mandatory. In May, he was uh, staying in Spain and broke local lockdown rules by practicing at a tennis club a week before it was allowed. More recently, he complained about the USDA's plan to try to protect people from the virus during the U.S. Open with such, mes- uh, such measures as limiting the size of players' entourages, going so far as to say he didn't know whether he would go to the tournament in New York. I'm not sure they'll miss you at this point, Joker. U.S. Open scheduled to start August 31st without spectators. French Open is going to be played in September, end of September, postponed from May. And now the Joker defending himself. Djokovic found himself defending the lax arrangements of his Adria Tour exhibitions, which were meant to raise money to help those affected by the pandemic, but where the stands were packed and players casually interacted with fans and each other off the court. Djokovic and other players were seen hugging each other and partying in nightclubs and restaurants. He was quoted as saying, Unfortunately, this virus is still present, and it's a new reality that we're still learning to cope and live with. I'm hoping things will ease with time so we can all resume lives the way they were. I'm extremely sorry for each individual case of infection. I hope that it will not complicate anyone's health situation and that everyone will be fine. Well, it did kind of complicate people's health situations.
3: Yeah, including uh, one of the more enjoyable NBA players out there that I was looking forward to seeing. Now, he screwed him up, too. Thanks. Who? Niko Jokic. Oh, yeah. Who's lo- I'm telling you, man, he's lost like 50 pounds, so... Um, one of the last remaining true centers in the league, and if you haven't watched much NBA, he's a seven-foot tall, he's from Serbia, and he drinks like two two liters of Coke a day. Like, he is just the, the pudgiest little goofball you've ever seen. Like, if you saw him walking on the street, you would never think he's a basketball player. You would think... Man, if you stop lost,
2: talking about Haydad like that, are you if talking about two, me? Two liters of Coke a day. Oh God, no!
3: If you saw him, you'd think, man, if that guy just you know tried, he would be an NBA player. Well, it turns out he's an exceptional one and the best passing center maybe in the history of the league statistically. I mean, he's special, but his conditioning has been really bad. Um, fourth quarters have not been friendly to him. But he lost, like, 50 pounds during quarantine. Like, he looks like he's supposed to be an NBA player now, and then he goes to a tennis party, and he gets coronavirus, and now, I mean, who knows what's going to happen.
2: David and Socher says, uh, Hey, Borky, oversees his techno and disco, and it's wild. Eyes got opened going to Uzbekistan. Nice people, bad government. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the summary, David.
3: That's not really my thing. I'm more of a quiet bar, little music in the background, like where you can actually speak to somebody. I got over the whole loud bars, loud music and stuff when I was like 19 and a half.
2: I'm assuming that you've seen the stories where the name of our favorite golf tournament is under attack?
3: Yeah, Deadspin. The guy that wrote the, the story attacking the Masters because we don't need to use the name Masters anymore in his Twitter bio mentions his Masters degree. <laughs> you you want to talk about how stupid things have gotten now? Yeah, that, that's the, the pit we've fallen well, into.
2: I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend about this earlier today and it was like are we being? Are, are we going to the point where we say a word that has multiple definitions can no longer be used if one of the definitions is is, is offensive? Apparently. Okay. Could a master be the owner of a slave? Eh, sure. Could it also be somebody who has accomplished at the highest level of their craft, as in? an invitational golf tournament for the best players in the world who are masters of the game and he had like some stupid little quip in this story where he goes besides who's ever mastered the game of golf i don't know what your yeah i don't know what this cat's postgraduate degree is in you think he completely mastered that subject